You're listening to the Big Data Beard. Welcome to the Big Data Beard podcast, where we explore the exciting trends, technology evolutions, and talented people making big data a big deal. I'm Corey Minton. I'm your host for today's Big Data Beard podcast. And with me today is one of our great contributors on Big Data Beard, Mr. Thomas Ensign. Thomas, thanks for being with us. Thanks. Oh, oh, we're recording this time? Yeah, we're going to. This is this is real. This okay, time. this is a real take. Yeah. This well, is, I'm happy to be here then. Excellent. Glad to have you. Kyle uh, is joining us today. Kyle Prinz is uh, going to be in the hot seat. He's also the producer of the show and technical maven behind the scenes. And we're glad to have him. Kyle, how are you doing today, bud? I'm doing well. Excellent. Well, let's get started. So today I wanted to talk about a, one of the hottest topics uh, in IT, and hot not in the terms of exciting for most folks. It's actually quite a big pain in the rear. It's called ransomware, and it's uh, it's sweeping the world in terms of the impacts, and it's having an impact that, frankly, it's it's uh, it's kind of unheard of. So ransomware. Yeah. Good, bad. We hate it's, it. We love it. It's not. Do you a, want to cry? It's not fun. Uh, you know, it did make Mr. Robot pretty exciting in season one. Uh, but on the flip side, I have a home NAS and have been hit myself. Really? Yeah. Yeah. So I logged on to take a backup of my computer and got hit with a, haha, you've been had. <laughs> and fortunately, I had a uh, backup that was that I could restore from. But yeah, it's already been a smidge of a pain on a personal level as well as uh, a pain on a professional level, but fortunately we have some tools that can help fix that. That stinks. Well, actually, I was reading an article and uh, I was a blog on uh, Barclay.com that's uh, that says that actually every ten seconds a consumer gets hit by ransomware, and every forty seconds a company does. So they were talking about some of the top sort of trends and and and, and uh, ransomware. And another one I found interesting was that. Phishing emails are still the number one vehicle for attack. Why do you, why do you think that is? Absolutely. Well, it it preys on what would be the weakest part of your organization, which would be your people. I'm hurt by that. Yeah, sorry. I I are one of those as well. Uh, <laughs> I think you just called us all weak. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> Present company excluded, of course. Uh no, but what it does is, you know, we have thousands of contributors who can build a, an amazing tool and build a strong fortress on your front end. But if you have a back door open, they're going to find a way to get in. And it's preyed on emotions, uh, which everybody has. Nobody can escape that. But then you also just have uneducated users who aren't necessarily aren't necessarily the most technical people. So they like to believe that people are good and then get attacked like that. You know, uh, we heard of one specific instance at a hospital where a nurse was going about her day and realized that she had an email that was a certain percentage of a pay raise. So she clicked it and typed in her information to receive her pay raise and they were able to get in that way. So it's just it's bad all around. <laughs> I would definitely respond to the email if somebody tried to offer me a raise. Absolutely. Did she get the raise? I mean, that's a very important question. She did not. And, uh, <laughs> Unfortunately enough, she'd actually started to go ahead and make purchases under her new assumption or her new assuming salary. And then when she realized that her raise wasn't coming, she got a little upset about that. So, I would too. <laughs> yeah. Go ahead and double check that. Yeah. And it seems like every, you know, even, you know, when we talk about uh, data and ransomware is going after not only consumer data, but big data, it actually makes me think back in January, they had that big, uh, what they call it, MongoDB apocalypse or something like yeah. 28,000. 28,000. Oh, 
servers got hit by databases. Yeah, and I, you know, it's it's attacking companies, it's attacking people, and, and they don't care who their end user is, but it's about the data they get. And they're also getting more malicious as well. Ransomware is a coin that, or a term that was coined, but now you're hearing of doxware or extortionware, which is items that are becoming more aggressive. And they're pinpointing their attacks on more high-profile people like companies like MongoDB or <laughs> CEOs of companies. And then, you know, you they used to with ransomware, you'd deploy it, you would hold that data for ransom for a certain amount of Bitcoin. And normally that amount of money would be relatively low because then if they walked away from it, if you set it really high, you're not going to have many people want to pay it. But if it's low, you have a higher turnout. However, now they're realizing that they could just blackmail their users into uh, paying, and then they can demand a higher uh, payoff. Mm. So it's it's really getting nasty. And we were watching, uh, my wife and I were watching Netflix the other day, and there's a TV show on there called Black Mirror, and they actually have, it's kind of like the, the Twilight Zone of the future. Okay. Uh, but they have an episode on there where they actually, uh, an, a user uh, was hacked through docs were an extortion where, and then he was blackmailed throughout the entire episode. So oh. it was pretty, pretty fascinating. Yeah. So that's, uh, goes back to something we've said on previous episodes. You really can't assume any privacy anymore, sadly. Not at all. And uh, don't put things on any of your, uh, don't record digital footprints that you don't want out there because there's a good chance that there's somebody out there coming after it. Well, you know, with the with this increase in, in ransomware, we saw that the number of variants and the variety of ransomware attacks is growing. This article actually talked about that the the number of variants or like in the virus world, strains of you know of this contamination grew thirty x in twenty seventeen. And one of the things that we're starting to see, and I, it, it, we actually calls to attention, I, I noticed something on Splunk's uh, site late last month where. Big companies are starting to respond. So big data companies have always been about, you know, in the last few years, they've, I shouldn't say always, all, they've been moving towards this cybersecurity use case. Mm-hmm. And I think Splunk's kind of been in a, in a leadership position in some of those areas as a defined use case. But they actually just re- recently launched this thing called Insights for Ransomware, which was kind of their response with a product specifically focused on helping organizations deal with ransomware. Have you have you seen much about have you seen this? What do you think about a big company like that making a statement that this is it it demands its own product. Yeah, it's great. So they they just released that at the end of June. So it's it's still relatively new, but if it's anything else like what Splunk does, we know it will be good. Uh those guys have a really polished product and they have a really unique way of looking at their data. Uh so this product is Really cool. It it doesn't necessarily follow the traditional licensing model, which I'm a big fan of. So Splunk typically will uh, license you by the amount of data you ingest per day. Uh, they handle it more as a amount of users you have that you want to protect, uh, which I really like because in specific use cases, you don't necessarily want to be penalized for the amount of big data you have or the amount of data you have, but more so how many people are you needing to protect. So it's really cool. Yeah, I see this as a trend too. I mean, you know, other companies are coming around products just because, I mean, it was, I mean, look at all the headlines. And then, I mean, who comes up with these names too? Like, you know, want to cry. But I, I guess if you're the hacker, you get to name it. Yeah. But um, we're seeing more and more of these products. But I mean, it's interesting that you bring up that it's a use by user model. So, I mean, you can see that competing with other enterprise products that are, you know, specifically protecting against uh, ransomware where they have their, have, have their uh, same business model too. And so I, th- I think this is going to be a very profitable market because I mean, 
I'm pretty biased right here thinking that, you know, data is a very valuable thing to companies and companies are starting to see that value. And so if you have somebody that's going to hold it at ransom or say, hey, you do not have access to your data or if you have, you know, if you don't pay me, I'm going to corrupt your data when your whole business is based off of data and we're seeing that more and more. You're going to see a lot more products that are going to come out for the enterprise to protect data and to be able to recover that data as well. So I think Splunk is seeing it and saying, hey, we're doing such a good job in other areas. Why don't we get into this market? Because it's only going to get worse. And I'm, I'm extremely excited to see a big data company like Splunk go ahead and take a look into security. Uh, you know, if you market yourself as a company focusing in big data, you have a lot of asset to protect then as a company focused in it. So it's great to see them stretch out of their uh, more standard log metrics, log searching, as well as everything else that they do. But really, you know, put a, a, a pole in the ground and mark where they stand on it and really help out their end users. All right. So let's do this. Let's um, I take from your conversation that you kind of like Splunk. <laughs> Just a little bit. Uh, my wife, uh, I don't think she sees me in uh, any other clothes except Splunk t-shirts when I'm at home. It's, <laughs> All right. uh, she's pretty irritated with it. <laughs> <laughs> so, so Kyle, let's, let's talk about this. Tell us a little bit about what you do uh, for a day job and, and how Splunk t-shirts have become your norm. Yeah. So uh, I am a big data consulting V architect uh, focused within CPSD at Dell EMC. So you could think of us as a specialist of all things big data, but how they relate to our ready solutions as well as our blocks, racks, and rails. Uh, so it's a pretty fun job, super interesting, extremely high-paced. And then we also come in and we'll get to be able to talk with the customer and bridge that gap, uh, help merge the two lingos together between your application specialist and your infrastructure specialist. So it's a really unique place to be that's a lot of fun. Excellent. So a couple things I know about you. Uh, one, you uh, well, you have a beard, which thank you for that. Uh, I try. Yeah. <laughs> uh, two, I know that you are uh, you hold a kind of an interesting distinction at Dell AMC that you're you're a member of the Splunk Ninja team. Yes. Which is uh, which is a group of engineers focused on helping customers deal with Splunk. But but the distinction you hold is you actually hold more certifications from Splunk than any other engineer at Dell AMC. Is that right? I I believe so. I haven't seen the latest metrics, but yeah. Um, we, uh, let's see, I joined Dell EMC last May and then, uh, went ahead and jumped on the, uh, unique partnership that we have with Splunk and started diving into their training and, uh, dove into SE1 to, uh, be a part of the team and then dove into SE2 about a month later, which that certification process is really cool. Mm -hmm. And then, uh, two weeks later I jumped onto SE3 and <laughs> it was odd because they, so they do their trainings, um, Virtually, so you just join a, a WebEx or a GoToMeeting or join me or anything like that. But then uh, the only training that they had available during my free time was on the British local time. Uh, started at 8 a.m. their time, so I think I was waking up that week around 2 a.m., 3 a.m. and uh, it was it was a really trying week, but a lot of fun. <laughs> that's uh, that's funny. It's Thomas told us last time about how you know this commitment for learning and that really focus on on building your niche, you know, your niche area of expertise. You, you're living that out. If you're committed to getting up at 2 a.m. to take some classes, that's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. It made for a long working day. <laughs> I'm sure, I'm sure your wife did not enjoy uh, being rattled out of bed at that time. <laughs> <laughs> she was not the happiest. Kyle, for some of the uh, listeners out there that are interested in Splunk, I mean, what certifications can you go into a little bit more and kind of tell people about these certifications and some of the things like, 
you know, would a you know would a Splunk developer have a certain certain track that they would be more interested yep. in, or some uh, the system admins, or anybody that want to get into Splunk? Because I mean, they're doing so many things, and enterprise security is at the forefront. I mean, there's probably a lot of listeners out there that would like to get involved. There absolutely is, and they have multiple tracks for you uh, with how you handle Splunk or how what your role is within Splunk. So if you're more of an administrator, they have admin classes. If you're more of a sales or SE role, uh, they have those classes. If you're more of a developer, maybe an app creator. Uh, they have things like that, or maybe you want to be involved in professional services and then installing it, standing it up. But where it gets really cool is they have multiple facets of Splunk. So Splunk for machine learning, that's a three-day class. Splunk for ITSI, which is IT service intelligence, they have a, a, a few-day class for that. So it, they really have a unique uh, and expansive education program for them that is something to be really proud of. Yeah, actually, so the so the team internally at Dell AMC used uh, their certification framework to train the ninjas. And one of the things I like uh, about their training is uh, it's not just traditional, um, you know, classroom or virtual training where you take a test, but to actually achieve the certifications, they actually have some, some proof points that you have to go through. So you actually have to do some demonstrations of their, of their software to showcase that you not only have a educational understanding, but you actually have a practical application understanding, uh, which I think is pretty cool. And it is role-based and we, uh, uh, actually, one of the ones I really dug was their, uh, they had a big data subject matter expert training that we had a chance to do. And Kyle had a chance to attend where we dug into Elk and Hadoop and Splunk and how, did, how they all come together. Yeah, it was, it was a really fun time. So you're telling me that with these certifications, I can't just turn the video on, walk and cook some eggs and come back and then print off my certificate? Absolutely not. Well, the great part of Splunk is you can download it on your laptop. So it's super easy to download, super easy to use, but they go ahead and take advantage of that to make sure that you understand what you're doing while you get certified to kind of prove your homework, so to speak, rather than just popping in the quiz and hoping for the best. <laughs> All right. So what do you think when you, when you, when you look at the, the field and when the when you talk to customers and you're, you're out there doing your day job, but you're, you're helping customers solve problems with Splunk, what are the, what are the most common challenges you see with customers trying to adopt Splunk as a, as a platform? Yeah. So Splunk is still, they're they're exploding. They're growing. So they're they're not hugely adopted. They have a lot of customers, but they're not as standard as like an Oracle or Microsoft SQL, where where you know there's a tighter coupling of an understanding of infrastructure and how the application tie in well. So we're we're seeing a little bit of a disconnect there. And Splunk's doing a great job of helping us out with that. But the great part of this Ninja team was that we were able to step in and help bridge that gap in between. Uh, your infrastructure side of house of your enterprise, but as well as your Splunk application team to make sure that both end users are happy and that we're following enterprise best practices as well as Splunk's best practices. Uh, but I see a major uh, disconnect happening there, but something really cool happens when we can get both teams in the same room and the Dell EMC team as well as the Splunk team in a room for about a day-long brainstorming session. We all come out learning a little bit more and having a better understanding of how this deployment is going to work. And we're seeing a lot of successful deployments across the field happening because of that. Yeah. It's funny you say the, 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 the teams don't talk to each other. So you're saying like the people that are buying Splunk for the use case, whatever it is, whether it's security or whatever they're doing, they may not be the same people who are responsible for the infrastructure that we will eventually run on. Absolutely. So you're saying that there's, there's a breakdown between those. I can't imagine that communication. Yeah. yeah it's a really unique, you know, <laughs> Never seen it before. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, it, it's it's interesting because I, I think that that's one of the 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 hopes of this team and this this podcast is actually to help uh, bridge that gap between the folks who are those people who are potentially adopting those technologies 
and helping them adopt a similar vocabulary and, and, and a reason mm-hmm. to inter- engage with, you know, the infrastructure teams because they're those teams are becoming more dependent upon each other. And it's uh, it's good that, that folks like you are out there in the field trying to bring those those folks together. Now we talked about um, with with Splunk. There's there's this base sort of Splunk enterprise that does the the data collection and aggregation and you know the ingestion, but we talked about this app, like this thing, like Insights for Ransomware or ITSI, this IT service intelligence, or uh, we've talked about an enterprise security as an app that runs on top of. So help me understand what what is it or help, like what is an app and what does it mean when you say app and Splunk, and help help me unpack that a little bit. Yeah, so. Uh- we talk about apps in Splunk, and you could think of them much in the same way. Uh, they, they treat apps, they have an app store called Splunk Base, and you can download that through kind of like an iTunes-like interface where you can just click download, type in your credentials, and boom, you're getting data. Now, we know that Splunk is a machine data platform. Uh, you know, it eats logs like candy. Uh, so what we want to do is, is apps are a great way to easily ingest that data, but as well giving you a good start for what you would want to visualize out of that data. So we at Dell EMC have an Isilon app where what we do is we make sure that the customer can have a, an easy button, so to speak, of being able to ingest that data, get it into Splunk, but then also start them off with uh, what we believe to be a few useful dashboards. Uh, and then the great part of Splunk is that you can click down on the lower right-hand corner of any graph on the little magnifying glass and drill into that graph even more and see how that uh, graph was created using what queries we had, and then build off of that to tailor it to you even more. Uh, so it's it's a really neat thing to do. It's a really neat place to do it. Anybody can contribute to it. Uh, so it is community driven as well. Uh, so you know, if you find something cool and you want to share it up, you can help out even more people. So if you if you start to add apps to Splunk, uh, does that like addition of apps? Uh, if somebody like, let's say, you're a business user and, hey, I want to launch enterprise security for a cybersecurity use case, and we already have Splunk, but I'm just going to go download enterprise security and, and get it running or I'm going to buy it, whatever. Does that, does that person, does that team still need to talk to infrastructure? Like, do those apps have downstream impacts on infrastructure? Absolutely. So there's a few very, uh, there's a few specific apps that have, uh, uh, that change your architecture uh, rather rather different architecture types. Uh, the main ones being uh, enterprise security, uh, the Splunk app for VMware, ITSI, uh, as well as a couple other ones. Um, but what, what happens is, is enterprise security, because it's running so many um, queries in the background and, and transferring so much data through it, is that you're going to need a beefier server. Uh, Splunk standard, typical, just you know, run-of-the-mill deployments are looking at something like a 16-core, 16 16-CP, or 16 CPU, 16 gigs of RAM per indexer, and that's for every 200 gigs in, uh, ingested. However, with ES, you're looking at something more like a 24 core, 64 gigs of RAM for every 100 gigs ingested. Wow. So adding enterprise security can absolutely slow down your Splunk deployment if you don't take a step back and look at the architecture side of that. So, Kyle, what you're saying is that the people that are running the enterprise security um, application and Splunk, they actually need to talk to other people that they work with in their organization. Yeah, about it's how a novel to do concept. <laughs> Wait a minute. Well, we have Agile, but we're still not going to talk to each other, right? <laughs> right. Absolutely. What's another communication tool if you don't use it, right? <laughs> yeah, it's wild because I just, I mean, I, I hear you say those numbers and that's, 
I double my infrastructure requirement in terms of the type of machine. Oh yeah. And then I then a du- then I double again mm-hmm. the number of machines I need. Yeah. Based on the amount of data that each can have. So that's a quadrupling your RAM and halving your data in just in per. I mean that's it's, it's that's, unbelievable. That's impactful. So that's good to know. So that's for those Splunk users out there, make sure that you know you're talking with you know, if you're the, the admin, you're the user, make sure you're connecting with your infrastructure because that's a big impact. Yeah, I would even highly encourage you to set up a uh, maybe a six-month or an annual call or even quarterly call uh, just to get your Splunk uh, sales team in the room, your Splunk engineer in the room, as well as your infrastructure provider, whether we hope that's Dell EMC. However, if you have another route, get them in the room and make sure that you guys are, are having a good conversation around architecture and Splunk deployments. Yeah, that's a good best practice. Imagine that business users... Developers talking with infrastructure—that is a wild idea. <laughs> well, Kyle, thanks for being with us today. We're gonna we're gonna move into a fun little section we call the uh, the rapid fire question section. Oh man! So we're gonna throw some questions at you, and what I want you to do is just give me the right off the top of your head. What's the what's the answer that that comes to your head, your mind just as quick as possible? So, first question is: What year will Skynet go online? That's from Terminator, right? That is correct. Yeah. Oh, are you too young for that millennial? I am. Uh, I I was born in '87, so <laughs> <laughs> I've uh, I've seen it on TBS a time or two. TBS. <laughs> may need to pull my man card after this interview, or my nerd card, my nerd card. Uh, Skynet. So you know, Skynet with machines coming against you. I I would argue the more data you feed it, uh, the more aware it will be. However, we're also seeing where if you're not uh, if you're using machine learning, but not necessarily applying the, the correct learning algorithm, you can get some pretty wicked outcomes. So I'd say we still have uh, a bit of way to go. Hopefully it's uh, uh, after I die, because I would like to be able to still ga- stay gainfully employed until I retire and then enjoy retirement. So, <laughs> As um, opposed to going to war with machines? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. I'd like to you know retire and enjoy it rather than fighting machines. So let's... Uh, let's so which side are you on, though? Are you on the side of the machines or are you on the side of the people? Oh, man. Depends on who's listening to this and when. <laughs> Be careful. Skynet yeah. is listening. That's yeah. right. Just for good practice, in my household, though, we are nice to our Amazon Echo, uh, just to make sure. <laughs> it's true. He judged me the other day. It's not. I, I don't speak kindly, I, apparently. I'm going to say 60 years. 60 years. All right. If you bought me a book, or if you bought anybody a book, what would it be? Uh, an audio book, because I am a horrible reader. <laughs> But, Truth. Uh, okay. Yeah, let's let's go with the Four Hour Chef. Uh, kind of flips uh, a recipe book on its end. Um, yeah, I'm a self proclaimed nerd. I'm not the most artistic at all. Uh, so cooking was terrifying for me until I was able to look at it through a more scientific lens, and then I realized it was just a giant chemistry set that you got to eat. So, uh, yeah, let's do Four Hour Chef. All right, good. All right, so what genre of music are you rocking the most right now? Oh, man. Uh, I did find a 90s playlist uh, on Spotify, and I I trimmed it down to all the songs I enjoyed in my adolescent rage. That's been a lot of fun. Nice. All right, what is your favorite piece of utterly useless technology? (laughs) Uh, so I am a pretty big smart home and automation nerd. However, it has bit me in the butt. Uh, so right now I am fighting with my smart door lock. Uh, we we went to my wife and I went to Sweden for a week and came home after a thirty six hour return trip home, and uh, realized that our front door lock batteries were dead. 
And myself and my infinite wisdom did not have a hide key in the house. So, so we sat outside for a good hour and a half waiting for my brother-in-law to show up with a new house key. Oh. So uh, I'm going to go with my door lock right now. I'm throwing it under the bus. The fact that your wife allows you to still have any home automation after that is stunning. She's an angel. Love you, Brittany. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So what is your biggest money pit right now? Oh, man. Probably home automation. I... <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I would say that, or um, I have I have a little home NAS, so I've been kind of beefing that up a bit. Uh, anything I can try and make my wife's life more easy, but still be able to be a nerd on is is something that I've been trying to do because then it's easier to get her to allow me to spend money. So. <laughs> <laughs> All right, are you going anywhere interesting soon? Um, I think I will be at VMworld uh, working in the booth. So I might be able to uh, steal one of these fancy microphones and head out to Vegas and uh, maybe interview a few people. Nice. And uh, a couple more questions. Uh, One, are you binge watching any shows right now? Or if so, what are they? Oh, man. Uh, I I am a big fan of Scrubs. Okay. That's a good choice. I, I love Scrubs. And uh, when I was in college, I had eight weeks of summer vacation, and there are eight seasons of Scrubs. Some people argue there's nine. I don't know what they're talking about. But there's eight seasons of Scrubs, and we watched one season a week. So it was about 24 episodes every seven days. <laughs> <laughs> That's commitment. Yeah. All right, last question. Who is your beard idol? Oh, man. Um, I'm going to go with the early 90s Coca-Cola Santa Claus. <laughs> that is good, you know, good. You know, funny story that's actually my plan for my second career so uh, if this thing doesn't work out in tech I'm hoping that Santa Claus is maybe a, a future role I like I it I think, I think you could do it but I mean really take a good look at that beard it is it's impressive it's robust <laughs> yes that's true it's wonderful maybe we can put that in the footnotes and link <laughs> to the Santa Claus beard I'm referencing Definitely check the show notes for the uh, Santa Claus beard from the 90s, I believe. Absolutely. Early 90s Coca-Cola Santa Claus. Well, Kyle, thanks so much for being with us. I appreciate the the best practice sharing on on users and administrators talking and meeting closer with their IT counterparts on the operations teams because we've learned that apps like uh, and platforms like Splunk as we deploy more apps can have a pretty big downstream impact on infrastructure. So thanks for sharing. Uh, I want to remind the listeners out there, please do go out and follow us. Uh, follow the podcast, like it. And if you have any feedback or things that you want to hear, topics that you'd like us to cover, guests that you'd like us to feature on the show, please do provide that feedback in the comments section and we will do our best to make it happen and read those online. Uh, if you have any questions, you can always uh, put those in the comments as well at bigdatabeard.com. I'm Corey Minton, and thanks again for joining us on the Big Data Beard Podcast. We'll see you next time.